in business and in life, wherever you go, go with all your heart. You know, if you're going to do something, you might as well do it fully, wholeheartedly and just really go all in. You're going to have good days, bad days and okay days. And you need to be okay with all three, no matter what you do. And especially if you're aiming for excellence. Hi, and welcome back to Kelly Loan Podcast. I am your host, business mentor, personal brand strategist, and style expert on a personal mission to inspire, yes, you guessed it, a minimum of five people a day to take action, do something different, and just show up as the best person they aspire to be. Keep all your messages coming in. I love seeing them on Instagram when you tag me in which episode that you've loved or a particular saying that someone said that's inspired you to do something different and had an impact on your day. Thanks in advance for being one of my five a day. Drop a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already and come and say hi to me on any of the platforms. Let me know which episode you have loved and why. And in this episode, we speak to Sana Azam. So she's the founder of Mina Speakers and is the region's number one expert on public speaking. She brings to the UAE and to the Middle East top tier talent and recently founded Experts Market, a leading speakers destination and the ultimate e-commerce shop for speakers. So this particular episode, we explore Sana's journey, how she became a confident speaker, and really the importance of personal branding and how that can set you apart when it comes to building your business and growing your personal brand. Welcome to the show, Sana. It's great to have you. We've actually never officially met, but we've spoken a number of times. Thank you for having me. And it feels like I've known you for a long time. (laughs) Is that a good thing? (laughs) That's a great thing. We're spiritually connected, but physically now for the first time. It's so weird, isn't it? Because you do feel like you know people and, you know, you refer to me clients. We had calls about speaking. We were just talking about that there just now. I remember the first time I think I actually spoke to you, but it must have been about six or seven years ago. How how long have you had Mina speakers for now? Seven years now. Oh, yeah. So it must have been around that time. Yeah. Why don't you give everyone a little bit of a backstory as to who you are and what maybe brought you to the Middle East to begin with? Mm, So 12 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Once upon a time. (laughs) I uh, came to Dubai. I I was living in Sweden and studying economics. I had a master's in economics, did a bit of banking and financial services there. But I knew I wanted to live and work internationally. So the choice was either the Middle East or the US. And because of my background, my parents are Palestinian. I've lived in the Middle East before. I felt really compelled to move out to Dubai. Did you know anything about Dubai before you came? Yeah, my sister lived here. Ah, okay. So I knew that uh, there was sunshine and the taxes were really low. Yeah, <laughs> so. well, that was mine. I remember when I first applied for a job with um, it was with Emirates, actually, and I had no idea where Dubai was. So this was 2001. Yeah. And my mom said, go and look it up. And all I remember going to was weather, sunshine. Yes. And was there bars? Ah. <laughs> that was the two things. That yeah. I ended up looking for. And yeah. there was plenty of those in those days. So yeah. Sorry there. No, no, quite happy about, about that. Uh, I mean, it's such an amazing place. Yeah. So I didn't think I would be here 12 years. And so when I came here, I got a job in, in the gold industry, like as a physical gold trader. And you would see me, you know, I come from a very proper Stockholm, like suit and pearl earrings type of background. Yeah. And now I'm in the Middle East in the gold souk everyone's kind of like with a calculator and selling gold bars. And rare, because I think it's quite a masculine industry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I would have thought. So, so first time I came in a suit, second time I came in an abaya. I uh, had to sharpen up really quickly. 
Wow. <laughs> so this would have been what, 12 years? So we're talking 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Every time I would ask, like, excuse me, can I, may I, where is, you know, second time you're like, where is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I need to talk to that guy. So you just learn really quickly. And it was just such a different exotic world for me. But I had a blast. I did that for a while. And then I got headhunted into banking. I worked in the DIFC with uh, a financial institution there. And no matter what I was doing, I would still be invited to speak at conferences. Mm. So my CEO or the marketing manager would be like, well, Sana, you go and speak. You like speaking. I'd be like, yeah, sure. So then I went looking for an agency to work with because yeah. I had an agency out in Europe that I worked with booking me around in Europe. Yeah. And then there was nothing here. And I go, okay. So I called my agents out there and I was like, are you setting up a business in the Middle East? Are you interested? There is a gap here. And they're like, no, not really interested. It's not their thing for various reasons. I go, oh, that's interesting. And that's when that seed was planted. Mm. I was like, mm, there's something here. And then I checked with other agencies internationally. There was absolutely no interest to do business in the Middle East. Who do you think that was? The short answer is bias and racism, mm. you know, or ignorance or lack of an appetite to do that at that point in time. I got the very clear answers and that didn't sit right with me. So somewhere down in there, I made a decision that I want to showcase the Renaissance movement in the Middle East. I had met so many incredible intellectuals and there was so much to be said. And I wanted the Middle East to be represented internationally. Yeah. And that was really the inspiration behind setting up Mina Speakers to you know, provide Arab speakers for the region, but also internationally. Yeah. So when people now come to you, so they'll be coming to get Arab speakers to do work in Europe or in the US, but also people will hire you outside. So this, it's kind of actually two ways. That yeah. people, and then inside the UAE or yeah. inside the Middle East to yeah. do events and conferences that are here. Is that right? Absolutely. What's a bit busier? The stuff that's based here or people finding speakers here and going out? So we're mostly doing local markets yeah. in the Gulf and the MENA region. That's a bulk of the business. And then we also do internationals. And it's kind of nice when you have a client that books a speaker here. You know, they have a retreat, they fly in their, their employees. Mm -hmm. We have a speaker locally here and then they go, oh my God, this person is amazing. We need to send him or her to Europe, to Singapore, to Asia. Yeah. And then they end up doing a world tour with an organization. Okay. So that's just a great situation for yeah. us. So we're doing both sides and yeah. year on year that's growing. Yeah. When we set up the business, there wasn't really a practice of booking a lot of speakers and, and paying for them. And that was something I was going to bring up because I feel in the Middle <laughs> East here, people... They just don't seem to see, see, not the value maybe, but they just think people will speak for free. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, for you, it's a business at the end of the yeah. day. So forget you're also a speaker, but also you have a business in yeah. doing that. How are you actually educating the market that, no, 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 if you want quality, you've got to pay for it. Sure, sure. And that started as a discussion. So my first deal, which happened like pretty instantly from me setting up the business within days. For you or for someone else? Somebody else was booked. Okay. But I didn't know anything about contracting or booking speakers. I was a speaker. I wasn't an agent. So yeah. I didn't really come from that world, but I was learning. <laughs> and fast. In, in, yeah, in, yeah. <laughs> but the, sometimes they say that that's the better way to do it as an on the job, because you'll learn and then you won't make that mistake again. Yeah. If I would coach somebody in entrepreneurship, I would say, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say do? Go and work for someone else first and then do it. I would say, you know, get your ducks in order, set things up, learn the ropes. Yeah. So you're not constantly like in survival mode and just figuring things out. It was stressful. I cried a lot in the first couple of years. 
it was just a lot of pressure. And I just, I think there are more enjoyable ways to set up a business Mm -hmm. and and strategic. So if you have a job, then maybe do that on the side part-time until things are set up. Just like set up the brochures, the logo, the copy, the website, things that take time. Because people really underestimate that part. Big time. Yeah, yeah, they do. (laughs) They do, they do. Yeah, so do that. And then when you have enough business and you become the accelerator, the multiplier, that's when you resign and go to that, you know, the business that you've set up. I wouldn't do it the way I did it at all. And I wouldn't advise people to do it. It's unnecessarily stressful. So to step back with the first booking, what happened then with the first booking? Oh, yeah, I made peanuts. I mean, (laughs) you know. A coffee, covered my coffee. <laughs> Lesson learned when you got your first one in. I did, I did. And the, I was so proud. And it came from a friend. And he was like, oh, I heard you were doing this. Second deal was also through a friend. So this is when your net worth is your network. Your network is your net worth. There yeah. you go. It's the yeah, other yeah, way yeah, around. Yeah, yeah uh, my second deal also came from a friend. And it was with President of South Africa, His Excellency President Thabo Mbeki. Mm-hmm. And that was my second deal within about two weeks of setting up the business. And I was like, okay, there's a market in this. I'm here. There's business in this. Exactly. I just needed that validation. So then and there, I knew this is the path for me. Things Mm -hmm. are aligning and flowing. And so it just continued from there. And then what kind of speakers do you have on your portfolio? Like how how do you identify a a great speaker? They send you a showreel or is it referral or how would you because lots of people can speak. Sure. But lots of people can't always do it in the best possible way. So how sure. would you pick someone out? And a lot of people think that they speak well as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have that element as well. And this is where, you know, a trained eye. So I've meet I've met a lot of people who are excellent. They're really good storytellers. They have a great story. They're mm-hmm. experts in their field. I would love to sign them on, but I simply cannot because they don't have the social proof that they're good speakers. What does that mean? They don't have a good website. They don't have good videos. They don't have testimonials. They don't have a massive track record. And how is a third party then going to recommend you to their clients? So how does Mina Speaker say, hey, book that person, but we don't have enough proof for them to make a decision about them? As much as people trust my word and I say they're great. I've heard them speak or I've seen this. It's not. There's still a hierarchy. So quite often the client that comes to me is not the sole decision maker. There are people behind them that also need to make a collective decision. And so if I don't have enough marketing collateral and proof that that speaker is great, then it's a waste of everyone's time. We talked about a little bit just before we started the power of your personal brand and um, being a speaker. And you said, you know, it's imperative that anyone who wants to be a speaker needs to have a personal brand. Oh, yeah. And what are some of the things that or what would you kind of emphasize on that? Because I see speaking is one of the key pillars to having a successful personal brand because it stands you out on the credibility piece. It stands you out on your visibility. People automatically think when you're standing on stage, you are an expert in what what it is that you do. And then you have the social proof of that with the photographers and the videographers. What are some of the things then you would say to highlight on that point of kind of personal branding? It's a topic I could talk about forever. I know, and I love it too. It's so exciting. So I often say that, you know, you're the CEO of your company, mm-hmm. the speaking business, but you also happen to be the product. And we need to differentiate those two. So the CEO needs to make sure that the business is run well, you know, the accounting, the invoicing, the marketing, like with any other business that you would set up. And the brand needs to be great, which means that you need to be an expert in your field, well-researched, you need to have good speaking skills. So we need to differentiate those two. A lot of people that approach me are perhaps good products, so to speak. They're good at speaking. They have the content. 
but miserable as CEOs. They mm-hmm. haven't run the business properly. And the difference between somebody who doesn't get paid to speak, somebody who gets paid, let's say, $1,000, $10,000 and above. And by above, it's like a limitless. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have speakers in the $100,000 range for an hour on stage, for 30 mm-hmm. minutes on stage. And the difference between those three is the personal brand. It's mm-hmm. how well recognized they are, how um, reputable they are, how many people follow them, their tribe. Do they even have a tribe? And then that's broken down into, yes, social media, following, videos, books, online courses, PR, that whole shebang. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the whole package that someone needs. And I think they really underestimate a little bit how much actually goes into it. Cause they're like, yeah, I can go and speak on stage. Yeah. I can go and do this, but there are so many other parts to consider to start building up as well. For sure. So- and, and it kind of breaks my heart because I, I have to take on average five calls a day or messages or emails where somebody says, Hey, I'm a great speaker. This is what I've done. Please sign me on. And I kind of have to break it down and be like, I'm sorry, I can't. No agency in the world can sign you on because you don't have enough social proof. You don't have the collateral or the personal brand for us to commercially move forward. So Mm. this partnership is not at equilibrium at the moment. What are some of the requests that are coming in for what are companies looking for? What's maybe some of the things that they are challenging? Because you'll get inside privy knowledge to go, well, this company needs help with this. So can (laughs) you provide a speaker that does this? What are some of the areas that people are struggling with in business at the moment. Yeah. And we are in a really interesting position because when you do hire a speaker, the speakers there solve a problem quite often. And that could either be, you know, motivation, engagement, or getting people to go from good to great, or getting people to work together more collaboratively, handling the work from home. It could be tactical, technical. It could be the launch of a new product and they want a spokesperson. So we have the whole range. So you're kind of right. I sit on a lot of interesting information. <laughs> and sorry, what was the question again? No, it was like, what are some of the challenges? <laughs> the, challenges, the, topics. I, yes, yeah. that people would be like, oh, that's struggling in our business. Oh, that's, that's always changing. What I've noticed now, which I think is really wonderful, is that we're seeing a lot more heart in organizations. Mm. So a couple of years ago, it was very technical, tactical only. How do I increase my sales, supply chain, finance? economics, just very technical presentations. Now it's a lot more about employee well-being. How can we help them be more grounded, but still perform well? How do we make sure that the the group is managing their mental health? It's a lot softer. Awareness as well. So we're seeing the employees, everyone showing up as their whole self. It's not just a corporate persona. It's me and all of me and the mother and the father and the sister and the, you know, all of that is showing up workspace. And I think it's about time. Yeah. It's, um, it's a good few decades, I think, of it too late. Yeah. But COVID's obviously had a, an impact on that now. And I guess bringing people and people together now yeah. that they're working from home, but also managing their mental health and their well-being space. So I imagine that's something that organizations yeah. are interested in. And we've seen that from research. So Google was researching what high-performing teams do. And it's not the teams that are recruiting Ivy Leaguers. It's the teams that are able to collaboratively work and work with a lot of vulnerability and openness. Mm. So somebody's expressing, you know, that they're having a bad day or something's not going well or having the psychological safety of speaking your mind without being penalized. So we're seeing a, a huge shift into bringing more vulnerability and feelings into the workspace, which is we're humans. Yeah, yeah. it's a good thing. And I guess probably I just wanted to touch back on that where we were talking about fees as well, where Ooh. people were saying about yeah. educating this market, because I think we started on it and then we, we quickly <laughs> went into personal brand, personal brand. Yeah. But in that space, you know, 
I have found personally from dealing internationally, outside the UAE, no issues with paying. They expect to pay. But I find here there's still a little bit of the mentality of like, well, will you not speak for free? And it's like, and I really want to say to people when they say that to me without sounding rude, well, would you go to work for free? Exactly. Do you know what? It's really frustrating. Diwa doesn't accept a barter deal, I'm afraid, when I come to pay my, uh, when I come to pay my bills. So how's that educational journey been for you? It's been really great. Yeah. So we've gone from growing with our clients, Mm -hmm. but I do have industry friends around the world and we, you know, Australia, UK and the US, I have these like partners that are in the same space and we exchange these type of stories and it seems to be prevalent all over the world. Okay. Is it, it was more so here a couple of years ago, but I do believe that MENA Speakers has had uh, something to do with that evolution and educating people and valuing experts, valuing their time and making sure that they're delivering a stellar performance. So when you have that type of exchange, the quality just automatically goes up because their deliverables expected on the speaker. And there's a, a level of professionalism that's expected as well. Yeah. And net, net, I think that's just better for the audience that's there. Yeah. Because yeah. now the speaker is there to serve the audience. Well, then I think then it works for both ways. You know, you either get someone who doesn't pay, then they don't really feel valued going and doing it. But then if I always say, if you don't pay, you don't pay attention. Ooh. Yeah. And I think if, if, if the company don't pay or, or the people that are hiring them don't pay, then they don't take it in the same way. Correct. And it's the, and yeah. also the same for the speaker. It's like, I'm not that motivated today or I'm not sure I want, you know, the heart's not in it. I mean, as much as people love doing what they do at the end of the day, if you know you're going to get paid for it, there's also that added incentive as well. Yeah. And you you get the quality assurance as well because you don't have a speaker soliciting their services from the the stage, Mm -mm. which is something that would contractually be mitigated if you're having a professional speaker that you're dealing with and they're going to get assessed and rated afterwards. So there's just a quality assurance that everyone, you know, gets more quality and value out of that speaker as opposed to when you're just trying to get a speaker that fill, to fill that spot. Yeah. You're not going to be sure that that's going to be a good quality deliverable. So how many speakers do you have in MENA speakers now? So we are dealing, we've pivoted and now we're working with exclusive speakers that mm-hmm. we manage fully their whole agenda in the region. At the moment, we're at 200 Completely at capacity. That yeah. is a lot. <laughs> yes. When you think if you're managing everything that they are doing in the... Yeah. The logistics of the little things, I think people don't realize, you know, it's all good and well booking a speaker, but then there's the prep beforehand and the yeah. mic checks, if it's a big conference and, you know, everything else, wardrobe and yeah. makeup and whatever else that go with it, that's also needs to be considered as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it's something that we evaluate on an annual basis. Yeah. And now we are signing on international speakers for the region. So that's really exciting. We've really signed on some A-listers that we're managing their whole MENA speaking Anyone you can share? Matthew Knowles. Okay. Beyonce's father mm-hmm. and agent of 24 Amazing. years. Yes. Amazing. Uh, and is that huge. because you reached out to them or because they reached out to you? Like, how, how did you start with that? So we've been put in a really good, we positioned ourselves really well. We are the leading speaker agency. At this stage, we are being contacted mm-hmm. by internationals to be managing the regional engagements. And it makes perfect sense. If you're based in the US or UK, you probably need an Arab-based agent that's handling the local cultural elements, but also like procurement, operations, logistics, that knows what the do's and don'ts. So we're the 
cultural Sherpa. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> On top of, of managing everything else. And if you're a really busy international speaker, yeah, it makes sense for you to have somebody handling your local engagements. A question for you. How did you become the best? What are some of the things that you implemented in order to become the best speaking agent? Because I think people watching this or listening to this will be, I want to be the best in my niche. What are some of the things, regardless of whether they're a speaker or or whatever industry, what are some of the things you think if people want to be the best of the best, what should they be doing? Yeah, I love that. The 10,000 hour rule, I think is more. You have to be okay with opportunity costs of everything. So tough decisions are made. It means that you're focusing, you're, you're putting in the hours and that's a non-negotiable. And mm-hmm. I think anybody who's a high performer, whether you're in sports, music or business knows that's what applies. So that's one. And then being sometimes really maniacal about the details and going back and iterating and kind of being really persistent about this needs to be done well. I'm sorry, we need to go back and mm-hmm. just kind of being like, okay, no, no, let's do this again. And again, <laughs> so how would you differentiate the details to being a perfectionist? Yeah. And that's a, that's a good question. You need to pick your battles, right? In the beginning, I was just running on everything. And I think it is a perfectionism. And I think that's okay. Right in the beginning, when you're trying to learn the ropes, now we pick our battles of let that slide, but that cannot. And then customer service, customer delight. The customer absolutely comes first, always listening to what they want, always yeah. listening to their feedback, always asking for their feedback. That was something I found quite painful in the beginning. I was a bit scared because I knew we weren't up to the mark. So if I'm going to ask, I'm going to get a lot of feedback. So I had to take a deep breath and be like, okay, feedback is my fuel. Please, how can we improve? (laughs) What's one piece of feedback that you were really hurt with, but actually changed the way you do things? Oh, there is so much feedback that happens all the time. I think the feedback that I got from people that were coaching me was to be able to delegate away Mm. and not work in the business, but work on the the business. business. Yeah. A lot of entrepreneurs are guilty of that. Yeah. So that took me, I would say six and a half years. So I've just recently taken a step back and really focusing on empowering my colleagues, the dream team there, making sure that they're fully kind of equipped to run the business. And then I can go and do what I need to do. So what did you have to do to implement in order to be working on the business rather than into it? So I think the team is huge. What are the other things that you actually had to do in order to go about? So I I want to tell you the tactics, but it really starts with getting coached and going into therapy and getting all of the the type of one-to-one, how do I go about and doing this? How do I love for more trust in my life? Mm. And that's what it was. So it really, as a leader, it starts with you. And so when you're doing that, there is always that ripple effect. And I'm all about personal development. I always have coaches. I always have people around me, energy readers, bells and whistles, absolutely therapy. I've had a long relationship with that because as I'm healing myself and growing, that's going to have a ripple effect of the people that I'm working with. And that's just center front for me. What was your first book in personal development that you ever read? Mm, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Did someone give it to you? I remember mine as well. Oh, really? Which one is it? Um, The Magic of Thinking Big. Oh, okay. Um, And and I was cabin crew at the time. And I remember implementing one of the strategies that they'd said in the book was to smile at everyone. And, you know, as cabin crew, that's what we do. But I don't know what happened. I applied all these things out of this chapter. I had the best light ever. I had oh, the really? best light ever. And I was like, oh, this book is good. Like, what else can I learn? <laughs> so, um, I think someone must have given me it. So did someone give you 
your book or I did found you know? it at home. I have seven siblings that are, and I'm the youngest. So there was a, a library with all kinds oh, of wow. books. Okay. And I was really young. So it was my very early teens. I think I was a bit of a weird teenager. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, aren't, aren't all teenagers a bit weird? I don't know. And that's where my love affair with personal development started mm. and really hacking communication and growth and all of that. So that's something I've taken along with me yeah. since then. So good. I, yeah. I often say, oh, I found it late, but I think you can never find anything late. Like I was 23, maybe 22 when I found sort of personal development. Mm. And I was like, yeah, but I could have been 17 or 15 <laughs> or, or something. But the fact is that you find it and it supports and helps you on your journey. So I think that's the most important Oh, yeah. Thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's your biggest productivity hack? So you must have learned a few over the, over the years. Have you got something that you can share? Best productivity hack. So I know where you're going with this and, and there are tactics, but I would say my best productivity hack is to sleep. Okay. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> it's to actually rest. Because mm-hmm. people don't do enough. Yeah. And then when I go back and I'm doing, I used to work really long hours. Mm. And seven days a week and all of that. And I was quite proud of it until I realized that this isn't sustainable and I'm feeling tired. And so I've reframed my relationship with productivity and making sure that I am taking weekends, I'm traveling, I'm not working all the way through and through and establishing boundaries, which is hard because I'm working on several time zones. (laughs) But trying to do that to the best of my capacity and then having people around me that hold me accountable to that. And that's both friends and the coaches and the the people that are making sure that I am aligned and growing in the right way. What time's bedtime then? So I have the aura ring. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a nice hack. And they send me a signal around like 9 p.m. It's time for you to start unwinding. I read your book, do yep. your meditations, just, you know, switch off the phones. Do I do that all the time? I don't. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> I it's don't. A, but it's that accountability in terms of at least there is that the reminder of someone saying that. I only ask because in the last sort of three years, I would say I've got super consistent evening routine. So my morning mm. routine has always been pretty good. But I think in order to have a great and even better morning routine and an even better day, it actually starts the night before. Yeah. yeah so the sleep, the routine. And my friends sort of make a little bit of fun of me because I do say like, I'm in bed by nine. Are you? Yeah. 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 That's so why you have glowing, beautiful skin. <laughs> Thank you. Because that's a hack too for, yeah. for well-being it, and beauty. I'm early in the morning and I do the gym and everything. But for me, it's, it's bed at nine. You know, if someone says to me, do you want to go out at half eight or eight o'clock even? I'm like, oh, it's a really tough call because I I actually prefer Kelly, who does all the things in the routine in the morning. So I'll be up at five. I'll do my face mask, my LED mask. I'll do the gym, you know, and I'll get my steps in. And by 730, I'm like, I'm on fire, which kind of means then by the end of the day, I am tired by nine o'clock. That's just I don't not go out for dinners and stuff like I do. But I would think twice about it. But it's interesting that people have really undervalued sleep yeah. over the years. And actually, well, if you want to not look older, you want to feel refreshed, yeah. you want to support your team, you want to yeah. be that best version of yourself. Yeah. Sleep is incredibly important. Yeah. I realized when I got this ring, I, I thought I was sleeping much longer. So how many hours were you sleeping? Five and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. Which and, is nothing. And now? I'm moving, edging towards seven, trying to go for eight. Okay which is where I should be. Yeah. But making sure that I'm getting good quality deep sleep. I'd heard recently or I'd read recently about social jet lag. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. No, let's hear it. Yeah. So it's based on the fact that you shouldn't necessarily, even at the weekend, have a different routine, that you should still get up at the same time and still kind like, okay, I don't go to bed at nine o'clock on a Friday night or a Saturday night. It might be 10 o'clock. It might be a little bit later. 
But social jet lag, so if you go out with your friends or whatever, go and have a dinner to one o'clock in the morning, but your routine is very much the, the sort of in bed by 10, half 10, you end up then losing some of your sleep and then you come out of your cadence cycle yeah. and then you end up being socially jet lagged and it carries with you for the next few days. I'm sure it does, but I, I put joy really high up as well for yeah. my productivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm all about like intuitive, just feeling it out. Is joy here? Am I going to have fun? Then I'm not going to sleep on that. Yeah, yeah I'm going out. Absolutely. And the same with food. Am I going to be plant-based every day? No, I'll have a steak. If that makes me happy, that's what I'm going to do. So I might even put joy center front, but joy could be sleeping well, feeling well rested, right? Yeah. Which is the theme for 2023 this year. This is your theme. I decide every year I have a word and the word is joy for me. And it, it is apparently one of these feelings that humans have a hard time engaging with and this is research from Brené Brown we tend to touch joy and retreat from it because we're scared of losing it but we're much better at the other feelings like sitting with our sad or sitting with the other feelings but so I said all right let's push it let's make sure that joy is center front and make sure that I'm having that as many times as possible for as long as possible during my day so what things have been joyful or what brought you joy this year so far Mm, ecstatic dancing (laughs) ecstatic dancing At, at noon yeah what is that? So you're just dancing however you wish to dance with very loud music. Well, in the office or at home? Uh, or? Pretty much. I'm yeah. bringing it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I so you'll it. see my three-year-old and I jamming it out when we feel like it. And I will bring it to the office. And sometimes it's organized in groups that do it as an activity. But that's been so much fun to just free dance yeah. any hour or in certain hours and across age groups. And it's not in a club and it's not in a specific setting. It could just be in a park. Mm. Oh, my God. That's brought you a lot of joy. So much joy. Yeah. Yeah. The freedom, the sense of freedom or just kind of letting go and... You're not looking at anybody. Nobody's looking at you. Everyone's just having their own kind of vibe of fun. And it's not like you're just moving the way your body wants to move to the beat. That's been so much... That's brought me so much joy. Is it a favorite song that you have? No, it's eccentric music. It's across the board. It could be anything and you're just kind of sussing it out. So that's been center front joy, physical, but also spending time with my daughter who's three, she sparks a lot of joy. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. And what have been some of your other words then? Uh, kindness was one year. Mm-hmm. Growth was one year. Healing mm-hmm. was one year. Something that I spent a considerable amount of time thinking about, you know, what do I wish for myself? Mm-hmm. And uh, it depends on where I'm at in life. Yeah. Uh, and then I do that. But I'm also really intentional about my personal development. So yeah. I'll do that. I'll set my goals for the year. I'll journal. I'll reflect over the past year. Quite cliched like that. Yeah. <laughs> I would say we've got a lot of uh, similarities in that way. I would say exactly the same. I think I'm really clear in yeah. my intentions for what it is that I want to do. Do they all happen? Not all of them, but do a lot that happen? Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, we're, we're just in January now, coming into February. Already three of the things have happened that I said for 2023. Check, check, yeah. You know, so I think when you start to get really clear about the intentions yeah. and nothing stops you to get there, then opportunities actually present themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And the fun ones are the ones that are really outlandish where mm. you're at the beginning of the year and you're like, I'm writing this down, but... I'm holding my breath a little bit because this is so out there. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to try to manifest this. Well, I'm going to ask you then, what was one of your most outlandish goals that you've set <laughs> over the years and how have you manifested it? So the, the first one that springs to mind is in 2010 and I was still at university level. And I saw my, my friend at the, the morning news 
And I was like, wow, that would be really amazing if I can be part of the morning news. Don't know how, don't know why. <laughs> but then six months later, I get that call. They're like, hey, we read about you. Do you want to join us? I was like, oh, this is happening. <laughs> it happened. It happened. Yes. Things like that manifests itself quite often. But I think when you make it clear in the beginning and they always say to write it down as if it's already happened rather than as if it's going to, you know, I I always write that it's happened and, you know, the journey that's that took me to get to there. It's not always exact, but that makes it so clear. Yeah. And then what are the steps that you need to do in order to get there? Well, it's happened so many times right now that it's almost I'm not even doubting it anymore. Mm. it's just I know I feel like I'm a creator the creator of my life I manifest things I make things happen and I have that that uh, trust in myself and divinity God the universe to help that alignment yeah it's just a different feeling it's a feeling of trust yeah I did it personally I do it professionally but I actually did it personally and absolutely worked I was on holiday one I was in the Seychelles and it was like maybe the April time and one of my paragraphs on, you know, in the wheel of life was like relationships. And I was like, no, yeah. it's about time I need to fix that area. And it's about <laughs> time to meet someone. And I remember being really clear with the intentions of the person that I wanted to meet, describe them. And I actually got so specific. I wrote that on this date or this person had said these words to me. And then would you believe it? Four months later, I went on a date and that person said exactly those words to me on the date. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize this because the date happened in in Scotland and it wasn't until I'd come back to Dubai that I had had read on my, I usually keep my um, desire statement in the bathroom so I can read it in the morning when I'm brushing my teeth. I put my makeup on so I see it all the time. Yeah. And I was like, hang on a minute. That was exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. So I think there's definitely the professional side, but also get clear in the intentions on the personal side. Mm. What is it that you want to achieve? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, Who has been a real big mentor to you over the years? I know you've invested in coaches. Is it someone that inspires you or you've looked up to that's really kind of, can you pick just one? (laughs) Yeah, so I've, it's really hard to say just one. Mm. And I find a lot of inspiration from so many people, almost in every conversation I'm having, mm. I'm finding inspiration. Um, so I, I can't tell you it's just one person or or this and that. There's a there's beauty in every interaction that you have. If you ask the right question, mm. there is going to be an interesting answer that comes up in a human. And that's something I've learned. So my gurus, my swamis, my teachers, it's everyone. Yeah, yeah. All part of that have made you who you are, I guess. Some people think about particular moments that define them but for you it's been the combination of everyone that you've met and yeah I asked my daughter the other day I was like oh you know do you like this friend do you like that friend and how about that person and then she at some point she looks at me and she's like mom I like everyone oh <laughs> that's so cute and I was like oh yeah so do I like, yeah, yeah and you were yeah. like where did she get this from? Oh, actually, (laughs) I've been instilling it as we go. Um, What are some of the myths that you find particularly frustrating in your industry and in your line of work that maybe you'd like to debunk here on the Kelly Limber podcast? Mm, Okay, we brushed on it before a little bit. That uh, speaking is easy and to be a professional speaker is an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And that everyone can do it in a sense, yes. But at the end of the day, it's a business. It's an art form. It's a skill. Yeah. And to do it really well and to do it consistently well to add value to your audience is like anything else that you're doing. It's like any sport. It's not enough to have one good panel discussion or one good keynote and then think, 
I can do this at the professional level. No, it's the consistency of doing it. And those that are doing this professionally and and earning those substantial amounts are the ones that have invested in public speaking training, in their brand, in media training, in messaging, in storytelling, and just constantly, you know, leveling up with the art form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so true. Because again, on the outset, I guess, but in some ways, I think if people make it look easy, then they're doing a good job. Exactly. So I suppose (laughs) if there's that side, if it looks easy, we're doing a good job. In actual fact, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes in order to do it. What sort of tips have you got for someone or what's what's something that you'd like to share with, you know, the audience here today, whether it's starting a business or whether it's, you know, investing in personal development? You know, have you got a takeaway that you're like, you know what, I really believe in this and this would be my tip? Oh, there's so much that can be said. I just came from a retreat in India 10 days. So I've had a lot of spiritual work here. Yeah. So let's see what direction to go. I would say in in business and in life, wherever you go, go with all your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to do something, you might as well do it fully, wholeheartedly and just really go all in. Mm-hmm. You're going to have good days, bad days and OK days. Yeah. And you need to be OK with all three, no matter what you do. And especially if you're aiming for excellence. And then surround yourself with people that light up when they see you. Mm, that's lovely. That's a really nice one in terms of light up, because that can mean so many things to yeah. to different people, I'd say. Yeah. And it's the, the third one that really super energizes me. Yeah. Has that been something then more recently that you've brought into your sort of um, being a consciously aware? Or is that something that you've thought for a long time? Yeah, uh, I, I've been, so my life is made by design. When you set up your own business and you're doing everything you're doing, you're choosing who to work with, what to work with. Everything's made by design. And I've become more conscious about the energy that I'm surrounding myself yeah. with and really mindful to be around people that are super positive, funny, energized, curious. If I'm showing them something, they're just as excited as I am. So I think that's just really important for life quality. And at the end of the day, you know, we only have one life. This isn't a dress rehearsal. So you might as well just do it really damn great. I just wore. <laughs> <laughs> You're all good. But I think it was so defining in that point. I've actually written that quite a few times in sort of affirmations. And then life is not a dress rehearsal. Oh, really? You are here. I absolutely love that. So I think it's an awesome one to, to end on. How can people find you? What's the, what's the platform you're on most often if they were only to reach out? Yeah, so my LinkedIn is maxed out, uh, so not there anymore. <laughs> Instagram is quite, it's an easy one. I always respond to emails mm-hmm. and um, yeah, any of the socials really. Yeah, very good. At Sanazam. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I have absolutely loved getting to know you. Thank you for and if me. we can uh, do part two, but maybe with a glass of wine um, somewhere else. Thank you, Sanazam. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kelly. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This is how more people can hear about the amazing stories and guests that we have on here. Even better, you can also share this on social media. Screenshot it and share it on your Instagram or on your Facebook or on your Twitter account. The more people that see these episodes, the more awareness it brings to small businesses, 
and those that are trying to make an impact and difference. And if you want to know more about how you can develop your personal brand, then check out our new website, Brand New Creators, designed by our in-house team. And we are in the business of helping you to increase your online visibility, build industry authority, lead change, motivate and profit. Who doesn't want that? I look forward to speaking to you soon. Until next time, bye.